Good afternoon and welcome to Monday with Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Greg, how are you, sir? I'm doing just fine looking out the window here at Polo Park and the snow is coming down, but it is not sticking. So that's good. Yeah, at least uh, at least on the roads and what have you. Perhaps I'm trying to see if there's really no green space around here other than the creek across the street. That's right. And it's much cleaner today thanks to some patrols from uh, Clifton School and uh, other parts of the West End who cleaned up the uh, Olmans Creek. We'll be telling you about that throughout the afternoon on our news at the top of the bottom of the hour. And we'll also learn uh, a little bit more about the elections in France. We'll find out how they work, find out what's going on in France with uh, a professor from the University of Manitoba who is a professor in literature, not only of uh, Quebec and French Canada, but also of France, as that's where she's from. She'll join us later this afternoon. And uh, it's kind of an afternoon of learning between 2 and 3 o'clock, as we'll also have a professor from the University of Winnipeg. Yes, we're going to talk about something called Youth Winnipeg. And this is its a, going to be a program happening over the summer for a week in the summertime. Youth United at Winnipeg. It's at the University of Winnipeg, and there will be 20 students taking part in a groundbreaking summer learning program. Starts May 1st in partnership with the City of Winnipeg and a number of community-based organizations, and it will be based on the principles in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. So we'll talk about that with the person who has designed the program and one of the students who's going to take part in it. And uh, the weather is uh, throwing a wrench in the plans of a gentleman who's riding his bike across Canada in support of uh, diabetes and diabetes awareness. His brother and sister both passed away because of diabetes. He's stuck in Winnipeg today because of the weather. That's our game. We'll talk to him (laughs) after 3 o'clock and find out a little bit more about his trek across the country by bicycle. I always thought I could ride my bike forever. But then when I moved to the mountains and to the Okanagan Valley and realized just how steep some of the climbs are in that part of the world and just imagining riding a bike through the Rocky Mountains or over the Coquihalla or something like that, I quickly realized that Riding my bike across the country was probably nothing I was ever going to be able to do. I know I'm putting limitations on myself, but I quickly threw that dream because it was one thing that I thought I would do by the time I was 50. It's uh, kind of now just kind of scratched well, off can't my you, list. Can't you just kick it into that uh, the first gear or whatever where yeah, it's really yeah, easy? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Those I, 8% grades, and uh, are they are really, really tough. So I have all the respect in the world for anybody that does that. My friend Julie uh, that lived in Vernon, she actually rode her bike from Vancouver to St. John's one summer. Oh, my and God. And I just couldn't believe she did it. it How was long did it take incredible. her? I think it, was, uh, I think it was about two and a half months it took her. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, you know, that would be a real journey. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, that and uh, visit with that uh, person that's doing this incredible thing in memory of brother and sister. His name is Mustafa, and I haven't figured out how to say his last name yet, so we'll uh, oh, visit me, with him. You, you want to give that a go? I'm going to Mustafa Belkhudja. Hu- oh. Bel- Belkhudja. Belkhudja? Yeah, we'll have to... We'll have to ask him. We'll have a little tutorial after and uh, apologize ahead of time for... The mistakes that we just made and more the mistakes that will likely be made. at Oh, there'll be, there'll be lots of mistakes between now and then, too. Rest assured. Saturday morning, mm-hmm. social media feeds were absolutely jam-packed with pictures and video of... The snow. And look, I get it. 
Friday was such a nice day, sunny and 17. If you got out, if you were able to take advantage of that weather, good for you. But if you weren't, and we knew it was coming, like it was in the forecast, it had been in the forecast all week that it was going to be cold, but it's still hard to deal with that initial shock because when you see snowfall in October or November, you kind of go, well, okay, the snow is here, but winter is coming. Not to pull the, the the catchphrase from Game of Thrones, but you know it's coming. But now you think, well, okay, we're long past it, haven't seen snow in a while. Then you look out the window and you go, what? That was my reaction. What? 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 Okay, I'll stop. The uh, flurries that we were reading in the forecast, that was not flurries on Saturday. That was that was absolute snow. But it was it was kind of pretty. Well, and I think the thing that maybe the reason why people got so excited about it was the fact that the, the snowflakes were quite substantial. I, I didn't see them. I kind of looked out the window and thought, yeah, it's snowing. But I remember thinking, that looks like pretty heavy. So I guess it was by the time I left for work, the snow had stopped. So it had piled up in my car, but it had stopped snowing. Yeah, but I imagine I hear that it was quite something. It was quite something. I just called it white rain, basically, because it was just big, fluffy, white raindrops that uh, just happened to come down in the form of snow. I think we're just a little sensitive about the weather right now. We are so anxious for summer or spring you know, spring to really kick in to high gear as mild an end to the winter that we had. It just feels like it's been a long winter. We had so much snow at the beginning of the year. I think we're just all really ready to, you know, get the swimming pool open, get our first round of golf, rake the lawn, get that first cut done, you name it, you know, start barbecuing again and just not even talk about the S word anymore. But it was when I looked at my Facebook page on Saturday, I thought, okay, Here's a post about snow. Here's another Ooh, here's one. Here's another one. Here's another one. <laughs> and and on and on and on and on it went. And I thought, this seems like more than usual when there is a topic of that sort of either is just really hot, like that we teased the, the the unicorn frap from Starbucks got tons of attention on social media last week, and it was uh, it was all over my feed, but not every single post. But in this case, I I don't know that there was a post that I saw that did not have to do with the snow, at least for Saturday morning. And I don't know that I've ever seen such a universal reaction like that. I knew exactly what I would see yeah. when I opened, before I opened my Facebook. And it was, my dad was the first one to post. <laughs> okay. Of course, he's been back from Arizona for, you know, four days and oh. has to, I don't know if he's bragging about being back home in Winnipeg and the fact that it's snowing to his friends down in Arizona. But the whole point was that, yeah, here we go. Right, the former Winnipeggers are going to be hammering on Winnipeg. Ah, oh, yeah, that's why I left back in 2001 or 92 or 93. <laughs> and then, of course, inevitably, my good friend Mike down in California posts a picture of his kids in a swimming pool in his backyard going, Ah, oh, I miss Winnipeg. Yes. So, of course, all the expats get in on it as well and start sharing their pictures from wherever they are because of social media, whether you're in California, uh, in France or Australia, if you have Winnipeg connections, you know that it's snowing in Winnipeg. And so everybody has to get in on the joke and poke fun at us. And once again, we are guilty of being the worst ambassadors for where we live ever. <laughs> Not on purpose, but it just happens that way, right? 
I guess that is a very much a Winnipeg thing to sort of dump on Winnipeg. I think that's changing, and a lot certainly a lot of it is tongue in cheek, but a lot of it is is of the negative variety. But one of the things that I always enjoy watching unfold when a topic like this explodes on whatever social media, in this case it was Facebook, because first you get the first wave is everyone posting about the same thing, everybody taking pictures of the snow and posting their pictures of the snow and complaining about the snow. And then you start to get the people who are who post to complain about everybody complaining about the snow. And then eventually you get a third wave of people who are posting to complain about the complainers, right? <laughs> yep. So it's always, that I think that is... Even though the, the first wave is sort of predictable and, and at times annoying, I kind of enjoy watching these things, just sort of watch the denouement, as it were. Oh. I hope I use that in the correct way. I would have no idea whether you did or not. It sounds as though you did. I'm going to go with yes, you did, Brett McGarry. It, it sounds cool, so I'm going to stick to it. But it is always amusing watching the the social media experiment, I suppose. And so now here we are, uh, nine minutes into our program. And we're still, and we're perpetuating exactly the same thing, talking about the weather and, uh, you know, being a little bit upset and grumpy about it. So I guess uh, everybody can be forgiven for wanting the weather to change. It's fortunately one of my least favorite sayings is so true. It is what it is. Well, and and I I want to address a text message that just came in and, and it's from Calvin who says, oh, brother. Get on to an interesting topic. Snow, rain, whatever. No need to spent. No need to spent hours on it. You misspelled spend. Oh, and actually, I thought it was. I thought it said Calvin. I don't know where I got that from. Oh, good. And there's no Calvin there. I just made something up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not talking so much about the snow. We're talking about the the reaction to the snow on Saturday and how interesting it was. But we just got a picture from somebody who was on Highway 218. This is what it looks like on Highway 218. Visibility is virtually non-existent, and there is says there is about two to three inches of snow. I am not familiar with Highway 218. I'm kind of totally doing uh, my Manitoba map mind meld, and I can't come up with it myself. So during the break, I'll have to uh, Google that. And Michaela as well has just texted us. There's a car that caught fire on Notre Dame westbound at Garfield. It is in the median lane with a fire truck taking up two lanes. It's not too bad traffic-wise, but it is there. So again, if you are on Notre Dame westbound at Garfield, there's a car on fire in the median lane, and a fire truck is taking up a couple of lanes. Not affecting traffic horribly, but it is going to impact you a little bit if you're heading that way. It is 116 on 680 CJOB, and all this talk about the weather. We'll have a look at your (laughs) forecast, because it is snowing right now. Look at the forecast coming up next. We have geography geniuses listening to us at 680 CJOB and texting us at 7806868. Highway 218, Brett. Highway 218, we got three text messages back to back to back from three different listeners, and we thank you all for that because the reason why we are talking about Highway 218, Provincial Road 218, is somebody texted us. This is what it looks like on Highway 218. There is about two to three inches of snow. And as I zoom in on this picture, visibility is is pretty much zero. So the highway traveling situation right now, like just looking outside our window here at Polo Park, it's snowing pretty good out there. So I would imagine being on the highway right now is not fun. But neither Greg or I could immediately identify where Highway 218 is. 
So we mentioned that, and we got three messages. Number one says PR218 runs through St. Malo. Second text says 218 is between St. Malo and Emerson. 218 comes up to 201, then the 200 to Emerson. And then Vince says that Highway 218 runs south from St. Malo and through Ridgeville, close to the U.S. border. So thank you to all three of you for that. Very the much. other thing that happens when we share these visuals about our hometown uh, with the world on social media is you quickly also find out that there are other places that experience strange weather as well. Saskatoon had had some snow the day before. Jerry D was tweeting out the fact that he wanted his, the folks coming to see his show in Saskatoon to be careful because it's snowing. Of course he's from Toronto. So that was a big deal. Uh, But Eve said, I complained about the snow to my friend from France. And he mentioned that they have experienced frost that has damaged uh, the wineries and and the grapes on the vine in France. So see when we share our deficiencies, others share theirs and, Misery loves company, as they say. And I asked Eve uh, the important question. I said, oh, no, did the wine survive? And he said, the way he explained it, it didn't sound promising. So that's a a real tragedy, Eve. Thank you for sharing. Please send our condolences. To the wine? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a French wine, uh, of course, has had an incredible reputation. I shied away from French wine for a long time, but it's getting better. It's getting more uh, pedestrian, if you like. You know, it was, seemed to be kind of a snobby thing to drink a Bordeaux from France. And now oh. it's less snobby to drink a Bordeaux from France. That's interesting. Do you think it's become less snobby just to drink French wine or think wine so. in general? I think, oh, wine in general. I mean, all you got to do is go to Urban Barn or any of these places that sell these uh, mean type signs. Yeah. Every third one is about wine. <laughs> so wine is a big part of the culture and increasingly so. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wine has uh, become, you know, a big part of society, big part of socializing. You ever been big to part the, of the day? You ever been to the wine fest? Mm-hmm. I, I, the first time I went there, I could not believe how packed it was. I was I was overwhelmed. It was one of those situations where it took me a few minutes to kind of get my bearings and, and compute what was happening because I didn't know what to expect. And you just see hundreds of booths all providing wines and just the sea of people. And I went to the afternoon show and it was packed. So the next year I went to one of the evening tastings as they call it, a tasting, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you could barely move. Oh, yeah. It's but fun. Everything's better with wine, Brett, yeah. plain and simple. And that whole ideal of, oh, you know, if it's not $30 a bottle or 15 or whatever your magic number is or the budget is, uh, quality of wine has nothing to do with price. Here's the bottom line with wine. I've confirmed this with sommeliers. I've confirmed this with, with uh, wine connoisseurs. The bottom line with wine is any wine you like – is good wine. Yeah. Comes out of a box. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If you like it, makes your day better. That makes it a good wine. Although I will never forget <laughs> surfing tables at uh, Earl's on St. James Street. This goes back. This is going to be, oh, God, 25 years ago now. And these ladies were trying, you know, I was trying to be very helpful with their wine selection, you know, white or red. And do you like, a, you know, something drier, something oaky? They weren't really quite sure. I said, well, why don't I bring you a taste of three different wines that kind of span the kind of the different types of wines that we have? So brought three. No, they didn't like that. Didn't like this. You know, Chilean, Californian, Australian, nothing. 
nothing at all appealed to them. Finally, they said to me, do you guys not have any good wine here? And I, <laughs> How old and are these people? I paused. Oh, their age had nothing to do with it. They just looked at me and I said, good wine such as Le Piedor, which is the most generic table wine on the planet, right? <laughs> just Le Piedor. And to them, Le Piedor was good wine. You know, was, a wine expert rank. would tell you that it's terrible, but because they like it, it's a good wine. Yeah, you got to go with whatever it is that you like. Whatever works for you, man. Well, and I have heard, and I, I, I'm i just thinking of this off the top of my head. I'm sure if I Googled it, I could find it. But I'm pretty sure there was a, a taste test done with some sommeliers who were told that then there was, in fact, a, a really expensive wine, and then there was a cheap cheap bottle of wine and they were told it was like a blind taste test so they were told you're now drinking the expensive wine and that they ranted and raved about how good it was and they had turns out they had flipped them they tricked the sommeliers heavens to murkatride and so they they ran they raved about the one that was cheap really and they isn't that something yeah so it doesn't matter it's sometimes it does Okay, fine. Yeah, I don't Sometimes it does. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. It's just all about the taste buds, man. Whatever works for you. So uh, just ask anybody, any of your friends who are members of a quote-unquote book club. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you all about wine somehow, some way. Are you implying that there is the consummation of oh, I am not implying, consumption? Pardon me. I'm not implying anything. I have been on the record as saying, gentlemen, if your uh, partner is involved in book club, it is not book club. It is called Wine Club, and they should declare it as such. (laughs) There's no secret about it. The secret's out, ladies. We are going to switch gears after Global News at 1.30, and we are going to prison on 680 CJOB. 133 on this uh, Monday afternoon. Keep those pictures and updates coming on highway conditions around uh, Manitoba. Uh, in Winnipeg right now, it just seems to be wet. The snow not accumulating at all. We've seen pictures uh, from a bunch of you that uh, things are accumulating in different parts of the province. 7806868 when it's safe to do so. We appreciate the information. Have you ever wondered who pays for the phone calls for prisoners, when they're in a provincial jail, maybe they're at remand center, how is the amount of time that you get for a phone call allotted? Well, we have someone here to tell us all about that, and the price has increased. In fact, uh, there's an argument uh, from some folks that suggest the price is becoming formidable for inmates to keep in touch with their families, Ted Mary Ash is a criminal defense lawyer here in Manitoba. He's a member of the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association of Manitoba. He joins us now. And uh, Ted, what can you tell us uh, about phone calls and those that are serving time? Let's let's talk about those in a a provincial institution like Headingley. How how many calls a day would someone in prison get or in a week? How, How does that get determined? Thanks for having me. Uh, in terms of the phone system itself, um, for those serving a sentence, they're entitled um, basically to make as many phone calls as they can get access to. However, uh, it isn't so easy as just accessing the telephone. There is a significant new cost associated with that that wasn't there uh, prior to a few months ago. What does that fee structure look like, Ted? Well, in terms of um, local calls for which the inmate pays for, the cost per phone call is $3, and that's whether or not it's a local call 
or long distance. Uh, if it's collect call, the rates jumps to $4.30 per call. Uh, this is before the usual fees and taxes which are imposed. So generally speaking, in inmates without money in their account would be looking at paying approximately, or their family rather, would be looking at paying upwards of $5 just to make a phone call to family. So why does it cost so much for these prisoners to make these phone calls? Because I would imagine it's not costing the prison itself a whole lot of money to to have a phone. Well, you would think that a phone system um, wouldn't be necessarily so expensive. Um, what happens is that the system, the costs of operating the phone system is being directed at those those inmates who are currently serving a sentence who are asking to speak to family members or basically anyone else that isn't on the approved list for what for free calls so, so lawyers and and such would uh account for free call i guess ted yeah i mean inmates will always be able to contact counsel so we're pleased with that they'll also be able to contact certain agencies aimed at uh, assisting them when they're out of custody, such as the John Hart's and other programs such as that. But the issue really, it applies to those individuals who are, you know, just looking to talk to, you know, their spouse, mother, family, friend, or whatnot, someone that can assist them uh, once they're, you know, ready to be released from custody. Now, there was a, a, an article in the Winnipeg Free Press today that outlines that a new company, Synergy, has come to the province. They've installed new infrastructure. And so, as, as you mentioned, really the goal is for the phone system to pay for itself. Uh, you know, I I can remember back in the day when you had to monitor what time of day you made a phone call from home long distance. I can't remember ever paying the equivalent of uh, $5 for a 15-minute phone call. Uh, Here we are in 2017. It sounds like an incredible markup. Oh, it is, absolutely. And when you bear in mind the fact that most inmates, even the most an inmate can make as a trustee is around $6 a day. That's if you're working in the prison? That's if you're, if the, you know, you have the institutional clearance to be a trustee, the most you can make is around $6 a day. And bear in mind that there are not enough jobs for every single inmate out there. And when you add on the fact that a lot of inmates are responsible for purchasing their own uh, toiletries, such as uh, shampoo, razor blades, and things of that nature, I mean, it, it really becomes almost a situation where they're forced to pass off these calls onto family members or alternately it discourages contact from people who, you know, um, are looking at, you know, having a finite release date and, you know, hopefully they're trying to transition by, you know, setting up uh, potential employment opportunities, potential residences and other resources available to them in the community, which at one time was free but is now basically taking up their entirely daily income. That or they pass it on to their family. Ted Mariash is a criminal defense lawyer in Manitoba. He's also a member of the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association of Manitoba. And we were talking about how some critics are saying that phone calls are too costly for many inmates. And we just got a text message at 204-780-6868. And I think it probably represents the, the, the feeling that many are having, or it's a question that many people might be asking right now. They, why should we care what it costs people who are in prison? 
to make a phone call? Well, you have to bear in mind that, you know, when someone commits a crime, the presumed punishment for that is jail. Jail shouldn't be so, you know, we shouldn't be looking at making ways, we shouldn't be looking at ways to making jail more difficult. We should be encouraging individuals to try make realistic transition plans for their eventual release from custody. So I think it's in everyone's best interest that, you know, people have a stable residence with a likely employment so that they give themselves a chance at breaking out of the criminal justice system, so to speak. Is this cost structure pretty common across the country, Ted? Um, there, to my knowledge, this system is in place in Saskatchewan, is in place in Nova Scotia, and uh, there may be other provinces as well, but those are the two that I'm familiar with, and uh, Manitoba is now involved. Uh, Manitoba has a slightly different fee structure than those two provinces, but uh, substantially similar. Are there effects, long-term effects that could happen if there are fewer phone calls made or even a situation where no phone calls are being made? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, contact with the outside world is important. It's important to have connections to family, to employment, to your community. Statistics clearly show that those factors lead to a lower rate of recidivism. So that means that by encouraging this communication, we are making it more likely that this person will not reoffend in the future. By charging for phone calls, you know, the system is essentially de-incentivizing these factors, and, and that just in- creates a higher risk of reoffense. We should be encouraging offenders to call family, friends, and employers to make sure they have stability when they are released. It is just good common sense. Is this a, a, an essential part of rehabilitation then, Ted, versus we always have this discussion in Canada, are we warehousing our criminals or are we supposed to be rehabilitating them? And I, I think we know what the law says, but I think the logistics and how we go about things at times would, would indicate that we are working contrary to our, our ideals of, of, of helping uh, people of broken crimes uh, reintegrate into society. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it is important to remember that jail can also be rehabilitative in nature. But, I mean, the goal is there of rehabilitation is obviously so that, you know, an offender does not reoffend. So, I mean, we should be encouraging this, not creating additional financial barriers. And the worst part about this is that, you know, if an inmate has no income, these costs are being, you know, being spread around by family members who, you know, who want to take these collect calls, who want to help these individuals in jail, but, you know, may be in a financial position which prohibits that. And that's really in no one's best interest. And then, of course, then uh, you have a situation where inmates are then uh, cut off from the outside world and then... Uh, relationships within prison become more important, and we've all heard the stories and the, uh, well, you know, it's the insinuation that if you weren't a criminal when you went in, you'll definitely be one by the time you come out. I'm not asking you for a comment on that uh, necessarily, Ted. Appreciate uh, your time and bringing this uh, topic to our awareness today. Thank you for having me. 
Ted Mariash is a criminal defense lawyer in Manitoba. He is also the member, a member of the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association of Manitoba. And uh, Greg, I mentioned that one text message from Larry, and just as I was reading it, we got a couple more texts along the same lines. Uh, for example, here's one. If you don't like the hotel... <laughs> <laughs> I love the way this is put. If you don't like the hotel, don't book the vacation. It's tiring hearing all the complaints inmates have about prison. You broke the law. Canada is already one of the easiest prison systems in the world. It's not meant to be an all-inclusive resort. I am not sharing an opinion on that, just reading it. And we have actually... You know what, normally we would pause right now for a forecast, but we want to make sure that we get this phone call on the air. We have a former inmate on the line. His name is Brad. Brad, thank you for calling us at 204-780-6868. How would you like to weigh in on this, Brad? I'm disguising my voice so I cannot be identified. Okay. We, If you don't get money from outside, you can't make any phone calls at all. Okay. I was not incarcerated in, Sask- in in Manitoba or Saskatchewan. Where were you incarcerated, Brad? Can you tell us that? Ontario. Okay. So what was the situation then for you if you needed to make a phone call? I got money from a friend. That's the only way I could make phone calls. So if you don't have the... What, or what did it cost? I think it was about 50 cents for local call and maybe 50 cents per minute long distance. And how long ago was this? Uh, about three years. So is that the... So were there inmates? Did you have fellow inmates who simply could not make phone calls? That's correct. We were in short-term facility. Everybody doing less than two years. So why are these phone calls so important, Brad? Give us an inside uh, look at why these phone calls are so important. Obviously, you are... Out of prison, are you working now? That's right. Tell us why they're so important, these calls. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to, to to share your piece on that. It allows you to keep in touch with friends and family. No money, you can't talk to anybody. All right, Brad. Thank you for calling and sharing some thoughts. Brad is a former inmate, and again, you that's I suspect that's not his name. He did not want to be identified. And we'll take more of your calls on this, 204-780-6868. We're getting a lot of text messages who are saying, who cares? And we're getting some text messages who are saying, hang on. 204-780-6868, it's the number to call and the number to text. You can also email gmac at cjob.com. That's Greg. And me, Brett at cjob.com. It is 146. Your forecast is up next. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Just want to quickly mention this before we return to our conversation. Canada has improved to 3-0 and at the World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship, uh, featuring Winnipeg's Reed Carruthers, with a 14-0 win over Kazakhstan. High five! High five! <laughs> oh, I might have a cold, so I don't know. I don't want to give you an actual high five. Um, oh, wait. Canada... Beat the glorious country of Kazakhstan. Yes. So, fourteen nothing. So okay. high five for Canada. Oh, high five for Canada because they beat glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Very good. Um, we're talking Borat. about phone calls being too costly for many inmates. That is what critics are saying. And we have Dennis on the line at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Dennis identifies himself as a former inmate from Headingley. Is that what it was, Dennis? Uh, yes, you're right. Um, I've done uh, repeat stints in there. Um, when I when I began uh, 
when when I entered the system in 2006, it was a free-for-all on the phones. Um, actually, amenities were readily available. And uh, uh, at my, my last release, it's all the same faces. Nobody has been really rehabilitated. Uh, the ones that... Uh, that went in as a mistake and were never seen again. They went on with their lives. But the repeat offenders, um, they, they eventually took over the system. They, they ran the phone system, um, and it wasn't for any good reason. You know, they control their families. They control their girlfriends. And I don't believe I've ever seen one of them get off a phone with a smile on their face. Uh, they, they hear things going on the outside. They bring it back inside. They're angry. They are... Um, volatile after talking with their girlfriends or families. They need to do their time. They really need to do their time. They don't take uh, part in programming if they're on the phone all the time. They have, they, and I, I heard that defense lawyer saying they need the money for uh, shampoo, so no, that's given free. They want to buy higher-end stuff. Um, I, I, I really think that this is a good thing because there there was a, on my last stint in, um, we, I could not get on the phone. Like, uh, it, it was just ridiculous. And, uh, like, for important phone calls, lawyers, everything, because these guys just would not get off the phone. They had to make a phone system, fights, everything. I think it's a good thing. So the phone system itself may have been complimentary but there was a price to be paid. You, you typically had to go through someone who controlled the phone in a certain sense, Dennis? Yeah, you had to pay an inmate. Yes. So how did that work then? What did they? What did the inmate charge to gain access? Um, canteen, um, chips, pop, whatever, whatever was available. And uh, whoever ran the unit was who you paid. And so in terms of the, the argument about, you know, you painted a really um, intimate and uh, vivid pic- picture, Dennis, about individuals getting off the phone, maybe angrier than ever because they are on the inside and, and worked up about what's going on in the inside, as or on the outside, as much as you clamored for those phone calls, uh, would it be your position then that maybe... Some restriction and uh, some deprivation is good for those that are on the inside. Oh, absolutely! Because I was ma- trying to trying to reach lawyers and things like that to uh, to 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 get out, you know. And uh, these guys are talking to their girlfriends, taking their welfare, having having it sent into them, taking from their children. Uh, you know, I've listened to the other side of these phone calls, demanding, threatening. Um, just do their time. Maybe they won't go back. Dennis, when was uh, the last time you were there? Like, I how long have you really been free? Just be uh, just under a year ago. So this system this, right now, where the, where inmates are having to pay, uh, what is it, three bucks for uh, whether it's dialing locally or long distance? You're saying that that wasn't in place? No, but it's actually cheaper than what we had to pay uh, the muscle in jail. Uh huh. Because you were you were paying a toll, so to speak. Dennis, yeah. uh, what are the chances that um, you find yourself back at Headingley at some point in your mind? Uh, by the grace of God, never. Dennis, thank you for your call. We appreciate you uh, stepping up and giving us some insight into yes. that. Uh, uh, we like to use the term, a look behind the curtain, so we appreciate it. Kevin is at 204-780-6868. Kevin, what are your thoughts on all this stuff? 
Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Um, my comment is you have slotted times for your phone times throughout the day um, or in the evenings. You have about 10 or 15 minutes of phone time. You have your contacts that you're able to contact after your time's up. Then the other inmate's able to use it for whoever's spotted for the next time. If not, you do have access to a phone. You need to talk to the guard. If you need to talk to your parents, your, your wife, um, an outreach that you can't have in there, you do have access to it, although it's screened, but you do. I don't know what this gentleman's talking about, about paying people or giving chips. That's if you want to buy their phone time. Other than that guy, um, you have that, uh, that outreach there at any given time, even if it's after and there's an emergency or if there's a problem, you'll be able to get to it. Kevin, how, what are, where are you coming from in this? What is your you have some perspective on this? Uh, are you a former inmate? Yes, I am. Oh, how long have yes, you been out? Uh, it's going to be close to twenty years coming October. Well, uh, good to hear that you've uh, rehabilitated. I guess we'll, we'll just quickly ask you the same question that we asked Dennis. Uh, any chance that uh, you think you'll end up back behind bars sometime down the road? Nobody can predict the future. Nobody can predict, you know, what's going to happen, but uh, right off the hop, no, never. Kevin, thanks Um, for the call. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Global News is up next. 2.05 on this Monday afternoon, and I don't know how much attention you pay to foreign politics, things going on in other parts of the world, but it was tough not to notice what was going on in France yesterday as they held, I guess it was their third part of a three-part election, as it turned out. And we've reached out to a professor at the University of Manitoba who's from France to get some reaction to what's happened. Here's a little audio from our friends at the Financial Times that explains how the French elections work. France is heading into the most unpredictable presidential election in decades, which is critical not just for the future direction of the EU's second largest economy, but to the survival of the EU itself. Voting in the battle for the Elysee Palace is conducted in two stages. The first round is open to any candidate who is able to get 500 signatures of support from elected officials, such as mayors. Some of these candidates are nominated by a political party ahead of the vote, either directly or through primary contest. Others run as independents. Although a candidate can theoretically win the election by securing 50% of the vote in the first round, this has never happened since the current voting system was introduced back in the 60s. A runoff between the two leading candidates is held two weeks after the first ballot. This year, the first round vote will take place on April the 23rd and the second round on May the 7th. Typically, French presidential elections are contests between centre-left and centre-right candidates. Got it? Got it. Got it. He's Brett, I'm Greg, and uh, we're joined now by Assistant Professor in French and French-Canadian Literature in the University of Manitoba, Irene Chesson. I think we got that pretty close, Irene, based on yeah. our conversation earlier. How startling Hello. How startling were the results of yesterday? Is it what you anticipated and what your friends and family in France well, were anticipating? I think that's what everybody anticipated. The polls were totally saying that was going to happen. So that's what happened. Nobody's surprised. People are deceived, but not surprised. 
how did we get to this point where uh, the the traditional uh, candidates and the traditional parties have been ousted uh, by uh, by these uh, extreme individuals to a certain extent uh, on either side? Um, uh, Macron, of course, not really uh, an extreme, but certainly an unknown and an independent, and Le Pen, who mm-hmm. is uh, extreme on the right. Uh, well, actually, the regular, the usual uh, political parties, the Parti Socialiste, which would be the left wing, and the uh, Républicain, which would be uh, the right wing, um, they had troubles during the, the campaign. Uh, the candidate of the right wing, we might have heard about this, uh, had uh, troubles with his wife being employed uh, by the state for not working, actually. So um, he has troubles with the justice, basically, right now. And that has been quite a big uh, scandal. And uh, the candidate of the left wing has been uh, abandoned by most of his parties because he's too on the left of the party. So they've been abandoned, and it left a lot of space for the extremes to raise and for an unknown person such as Macron to, to arrive, yes. Now, you mentioned that uh, you said you were not surprised by the result, but no. uh, I believe, did you say that you were deceived? Is that the word that I heard you well, say? Um, well, most people are deceived because um, Macron is a center, cent- left center candidate. Uh, he's neither on the right or the left. Marine Le Pen is an extreme right. So left wing people are not really represented there. And um, that's going to be the challenge for the second round of the elections is to know where the votes of the left-wing people is going to go, and even the votes of the regular right-wing people, because nobody represents them. Traditionally, where has uh, France voted, at least in the last several elections, closer to the left or closer to the right? Well, they usually alternate between the right and left, uh, pretty much like in Canada, but it's center-left, center-right. Yeah. Now, there's... President was a left candidate. Now, there's a story on our newswire from the Associated Press that says, I'll just read you one line. It says, France's political mainstream shut out of the presidency by an angry electorate. Why do you think they're describing uh, it as an angry electorate? Well, I guess unemployment is a big problem. Um, there's also a lot of divisions socially in France right now, um, problems related to immigration and things like that. So, yeah, a lot of tensions, social tensions. And, yeah, people take it on the government, obviously. So is this why Marine Le Pen's uh, nationalistic rhetoric is having some resonance with people? I guess so. Also, our, her political party uh, is pretty old. Uh, she's the hire of, I mean, her father was the president of the Front National Party, and he was very, very scandalous person, character. I mean, he was very anti-Semitic, he used to make a lot of anti-Semitic declarations. And what did Marine Le Pen is to make her political party way more ordinary and banal. So she, they kind of uh, got her father out of the party. He has been expelled from the party. And now they have a very, way more regular discourse, way more regular speech, um, but it's still an extreme right party with a very classical extreme right uh, politics on economy and immigration. 
I so read... yeah, it's, it's more ordinary. So people reach, reach out to it more easily, let's say, than I... before. Irene, you uh, were born in France. Uh, first, uh, I have two questions. How long have you been in Canada? Uh, seven years, I think, right now. And do you get to vote in this election? Well, I wanted to vote, but I can't, because as I live in Winnipeg, I have to vote in Toronto. And oh. Because of all the troubles there have been with uh, electronic votes, you know, they're afraid it gets... Uh, they get trouble with that. I uh, cannot vote electronically. I have to vote in person in Toronto. So I didn't want to take a flight to Toronto just for that. So we've seen what happened in Great Britain and the beginning of the negotiation for the Brexit. There is some popular, if not accurate, uh, suggestion that should... France decide to go the same way, and Marine Le Pen has suggested that she would take yeah. France out of the EU, that that could be the end of the, eco- the European Economic Union uh, altogether. What's your, what's your take on that? Well, uh, she wants to renegotiate the treaties. Uh, she's, she wants to do a Frexit, as they call it, but uh, first, first, her first take is to renegotiate the treaties and get out of the euro, euro money. So, yeah, I don't know, but I, there is little, the, the poll says there is little chances that she wins, so I will not go on this. Um, my bet is she's not going to win. Your bet if, is that she won't win? Well, uh, she has a chance to win, is that is if people from the left wing and the traditional right wing decide not to vote, and the abstention is going to be the big problem there. But... Usually in those occasions where the extreme right is on the second round of the elections, people kind of gather and try to vote against the extreme right. Are people concerned overall? There were uh, uh, lots yeah, people of... people are concerned. There was rioting and there were, uh, uh, you know, there was a civil unrest in Paris last night and throughout yeah. France uh, on yeah. the heels of this. Uh, uh, the, the French are not shy to voice their discontent. No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) But they're French. It's kind of a tradition, right? (laughs) And people are people are deceived by this result, uh, and they're um, they're angry. Yeah, Uh, they're worried about the extreme right being so strong. Um, My take it is that there is a lot of um, people who vote for the extreme right just out of anger, and they will not vote for the extreme right on the second round. Now, you know, we saw that twice in the last uh, nine months or so, yeah. where those who felt as though their vote would only be in protest and that there would be no chance that the candidate that they're voting for in protest could possibly win. And we saw in the United States and, of course, in Great Britain, where uh, these things came to fruition. How do, yeah. uh, what are moves are people making uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen in France? Well, uh, all of the political, most of the political parties call uh, for a vote for Macron. So they ask their voters to turn their vote to Macron uh, in order to um, make, um, to confront the the extreme right. But yeah, as I said, it's just going to depend on the abstention rate. 
that's fascinating to watch, fascinating to follow. Thanks for uh, this uh, outsider, more insider view on this with the connection uh, to France, Irene. And uh, I'm sorry that you didn't get a, an opportunity to vote in this. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I am too. And uh, I, I wish we had a consulate in Winnipeg, but uh, we don't, don't. We don't have it anymore. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, just uh, on a side note, because I yeah. think that when Emmanuel Macron came to the forefront, uh, his personal story was as interesting as his politics. Oh, yeah, but that's, that's the case with many politicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's only, he will be, if he's elected, uh, he will be the first, the youngest president of the Republic ever, like since the French Revolution, since the end of the monarchy in France. Because uh, he's only 39. And yeah, there is a lot, the People magazine, you know, the... They talk about his wife, who's 24 years old, older than than him, and she's his, for, his former French teacher. But yeah, that's more or less it for his personal life. He's a very uh, he has a very classical um, background, you know. He's um, he studied in the very in the best school, in the best French schools. Uh, he has a he's a banker. He has a past in high finances, and he's brand new to politics. So it's a fresh face, and I think people like it right now. They're a bit tired of the old politics. Well, it'll be, uh, I guess, uh, a long two weeks. Uh, we'll see how this all turns out. Yeah. Irene, thank you for this. We appreciate it, and we hope uh, that you, you are uh, loving uh, your time with us here in Winnipeg. Thank you. Irene Chesson, she is assistant professor in French and French-Canadian literature at the University of Manitoba. Forecast. I guess I got to turn my microphone back on. Your no, forecast is coming up next. Patty Cole, congratulations to you, Patty. You have qualified for the 680 CJOB bucket list flyaway Predator Ridge. The draw happening this Friday. So, Patty Cole, you are in the draw, and you can get all the details and all the stuff that comes with this magnificent prize package, including a round of golf at Predator Ridge. You get all the information at cjob.com. And your next chance to qualify at 515 with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news. Do you have any um, especially, especially favorite movies from the 1980s, Brett? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, there are a couple that jump, the ones that jump to mind are, are sort of obvious, really. You've got movies like Ferris Bueller's Day Off or The Breakfast Club. I guess I like John Hughes movies. I'm pretty sure they're both John Hughes. I think you could be right. E.T. Is that one of your favorites? Yeah, I'm surprised it's not. It should be. But I believe I have only seen that film one time in my life. So, yeah, I need to watch that movie again. It's uh, one of my favorite. Um my kids are starting to come around on the music. Okay. Okay. Like they like their current stuff, their 21 pilots and whatever's popular right now. But they also are really starting to get into the rock and roll from the late 70s in the 80s. And flipping around, we're fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have a, a bunch of channels, including a bunch of movie channels at home. Yep. I think you've got them as well. Mm-hmm. And stumbled upon War Games. You mentioned <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Matthew Broderick, who was a huge star, uh, still is, uh, you know, more of the stage, right? Uh, Broadway now and these days. But he was uh, definitely one of those young child actors, uh, teenager, early 20s. And War Games, he appeared with one of my favorites. You mentioned The Breakfast Club. 
Well, Ali Sheedy was in the Breakfast Club. I absolutely adored her and everything she did. And while I stumbled upon War Games, and I thought, you know what? This would be a really good opportunity for the boys to to check out not only old cinema, but old technology. Here's the trailer to set the stage. America's front line of defense is this computer. It is totally secure. Or is it? You're really into computers, huh? Yeah. The Whopper, they call it. What are you it. doing? Dialing <laughs> into the school's computer. Are those your grades? They yeah. start innocently enough, right? Do you? You can't do that. <laughs> Already done. He's hacking. He's hacking. I don't even think they used the word hack once in that. the movie. Only if you're over 18. This computer company is coming out with these amazing new games in a couple of months. I want to play those games. Dot wow. matrix paint printer. We got something. <laughs> games refers to models, simulations, and games to have That must be them. Strategic application. Greetings. Game time is near. Shall we play a game? Love to. Let's play. Global thermal nuclear war. Fine. All right. And what could possibly go wrong from there? Global thermonuclear war. And of course, he's inside the NORAD computer, right? That controls all the ICBMs and all the nuclear arsenal of the United States. Yep. And so it sends out signals of uh, false attacks from the Soviet Union. And uh, they show you a mock-up of, maybe they filmed it in NORAD, who knows, of this control center of all the different maps and these incoming missiles, they go to DEFCON 4 and or DEFCON 2. I guess 5 is the lowest. DEFCON 1 is the highest. Uh, 5 lowest, 1 highest. They get as high as DEFCON 2. And it's just, an, you know, just shows you the worst case scenario when something goes wrong. But the technology in Broderick's bedroom in this movie is unreal. He has a typewriter. Beauty. Yeah, beautiful. Was it like a, a proper old typewriter was it an electric typewriter oh no it was an old style typewriter you know of course a vcr uh he had a record player stereo with a great big dust cover on it and the modem was this giant cradle for his telephone that he put the dial up telephone in and etc this was cutting edge technology in 1983 oh his room i i remember Looking at his room thinking, oh, my God, it looks so cool. Look at all that stuff. (laughs) And now all of it, everything he was able to do in his bedroom with all that different stuff, you can do with your iPhone and your iPad. (laughs) You need one piece of equipment and maybe, maybe a printer. And you're done. You've got exactly what he had. Anyway, it was just neat to see all the different technology. It was really, still really, uh, the story holds up. And uh, I was reminded how adorable Ali Sheedy was back in the day. You liked the, you had a crush on Ali Sheedy? Yep. Which movie of hers did you like the most? Oh, uh, well, I guess it would have been uh, not The Breakfast Club. What was the other one? The Man in Motion one. St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire. Because she was always kind of in the background, right? Can I change my answer? Yes. Short Circuit. I was just going to, that's what I was thinking of. Short Circuit. Johnny Five Alive. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Monday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day in spite of the weather. Lots of great things going on in the community, including this afternoon from 5 until 7. Winnipeg Blue Bombers will be doing an autograph session with the quarterbacks 
for this season. I'll be down there and uh, we'll be uh, having and filtering back some interviews with uh, Matt Nichols, Dominique Davis, and uh, Stefan Lafour. Uh, no, not Stefan. Dan, Dan Lefevre. <laughs> Stefan Lafour is I'm back in, in the Mike Kelly era, 2007. So uh, we won't be uh, calling uh, Dan Lefevre, Stefan Lafour's on site. I promise you that. Uh, <laughs> Brett, we wanted to tell our listeners about something that came across our desk today and uh, our guests were so kind to uh, rearrange their day to join us in studio this afternoon. And the the headline that came in today is Youth United at Winnipeg comes to life, breaking barriers, building bridges in the spirit of reconciliation. So we'll tell you a little bit about what this is with our guests. Dr. Shauna McKinnon, who is an associate professor of urban and inner city studies at the University of Winnipeg, has joined us as well as a student, Lisa Strong. Thank you to the two of you for joining us today. Dr. McKinnon, we'll start with you. What is Youth United Winnipeg? So Youth United at Winnipeg is a program that we'll be offering through Urban and Inner City Studies, uh, United, uh, University of Winnipeg, and we're a program that operates off campus in Sel- on Selkirk Avenue, so we're kind of a non-traditional program. And Youth United at Winnipeg is um, an extension of that. So what we'll be doing is bringing together, it's a two-year program, and we're receiving funding from the City of Winnipeg. Uh, we'll be bringing students uh, from diverse backgrounds. So 10 of our students are Indigenous students, uh, primarily from the inner city, and 10 students that are more you know, your typical university student, a suburban student. And we'll be bringing them together to uh, participate in a work-study program in the spirit of reconciliation. So they'll spend one day in the classroom a week from May through August, and then four days a week they'll be working in an inner city organization where they'll be you know, practicing what they learn in the classroom. So this is a too broad a question to ask you, uh, Shauna, what the uh, what the goal of the program is? Yeah, well, the overarching goal is to, you know, really participate in the process of reconciliation as it's described in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. The idea of bringing students together to learn uh, about different cultures, different experiences, but also to meet people that they otherwise might not have an opportunity to meet. So when we bring, for example, students from the suburbs into the inner city to learn, um, that's something that's very different for them. Many students have never stepped foot in the inner city in the North End on Selkirk Avenue, and there's a lot of fear of the North End. And so it's a way for them to come to the neighborhood and be exposed to uh, some of the people that live there and learn there. And so together they learn, and we believe that's an important step in reconciliation. So, Lisa, what part of the spectrum do you come from? Are you? Um, well, I'm, a, I'm like 44 years old, and I live in Central. And um, we all know where Central neighborhood is. It's a hard neighborhood. I live in uh, poverty, but I think it's a way for me to connect with other students by um, getting to know each other and learning from their ethnic backgrounds is different from mine. So by experiencing it and um, getting to know one another, learning together, I think we'll be promoting to address racism and stereotyping in Winnipeg. You mentioned, uh, was it Central, the neighborhood? That yes, that's what, right. What is that uh, neighborhood? Um, that's like, um, you know where Isabel is, near right before Salter Bridge? So that's the neighborhood that I come from, and uh, that's where the Rossbrook House and the Freight House is located. Right, right. So it's a very tough and uh, poverty-stricken neighborhood with lots of um, um, social issues that are going on prostitution, poverty, alcoholism, addictions. 
So, like, I see things and my children see things that we face every day, which a normal kid from maybe St. Fatal would have no experience with. So, like, um, for instance, I think that before I came to Urban and Inner City Studies, um, I met students that, for instance, I would never talk to on the street. Like, it would be, we would never even have this contact together on the street. But when I go to school at Urban and Inner City Studies, I get to know these people and realize that, you know what, they're not even that different from me, even though we have, have totally different lifestyles. We can become friends and, and learn from each other. You know, it's interesting you say that, you know, someone from St. Vitale might uh, not, you know, know necessarily, but you might learn really quick that they know more about those sort of social issues than you you might imagine, right? Yeah. It breaks down barriers on both mm-hmm. sides. Is that it fair does. to say, Lisa? Yeah, it does for sure. So um, it does break down barriers, and I think um, it will help in the long run, like with the city, in the city in Winnipeg, when we are talking about, like, we're the worst are the race most racist racist city in Canada? Well, if you listen to McLean Magazine, yes. uh, one person, you know, <laughs> and I like to hope to think that that's not true. Uh-huh. Uh, but but if that was the kick in the rear end that we needed as a community to maybe step up mm-hmm. reconciliation and the conversation to understand how deep the divide may be or how close we may be, yeah, maybe a better way to look at it. Then I'm fine with that as well. Mm-hmm. What's been the? Uh, why are you back at school at 44? How old are your kids? Um, and and um, what's your goal with your education? Okay, well, first of all, super proud of you for doing that. <laughs> I just met you, but hooray for you! Yeah, well, I've I come from a really harsh background. Like, um, I'm a sixty scoop survivor, so I was taken from my um, family settlement and uh, placed in uh, Children's Aid Society here in Winnipeg. And I come from Ontario, so I have no idea how that process happened. But in the end, I was in foster homes and then shipped off to Columbus, Ohio with a Christian uh, pastor and his adult sons. And uh, it didn't, it was a, it was a really hard um, childhood, like growing up. So coming back to Winnipeg, I was put in the central neighborhood and I ended up being a Rosberg House um, child. So I went to Rosberg House. I went to school there. I would go to the community center. And they had a foster home for um, sexually abused girls. So Why did you come back to Winnipeg? Because of the abuse in the, um, when I was adopted from the adopted parents. So when I came back to Winnipeg, I was already um, suffering for intergenerational trauma, those traumas, and from uh, um, the suffering that I had in like being adopted as a child. So already I was faced with that. So when you're faced with those um, traumas, you tend to like start addictions, gang life. Um, uh, you know, uh, I didn't think I did, had insecurities. Like I never thought I was good enough to have a good life, sort of. So I was, I couldn't go back to school. I got stuck in a dark place, like um, suicidal tendencies. So going, having to deal with all that, it took me over 25 years to get better. So I was in a state and in a good place to go back and get my grade 12 education. This is only four years ago. How brave are you? Oh, thank you. My goodness. Yeah. So it's been a long um, healing journey, and this is why I applied for um, 
becoming part of this program is to share my life experiences with students that don't have no idea that this is where this is what happens to some indigenous children and they can learn from my experience and maybe yeah it'll change the way they think <clears throat> Shauna, I, I think um, Lisa may be as much a teacher as she is a student in this. Well, it's funny you should say that because one of the things we talk about is the the opportunity for learning across cultures. But, I mean, we do a lot of this work already at Urban and Inner City Studies. It's sort of an extension of it because students also get to work in the community together and then they get paid and all that. But it, it's true. Like, students come from outside of the inner city and they learn so much from students like Lisa um, and they start to, um, you know, see why the challenge is, why it takes so long, you know, why it is that many of our Indigenous students are older students because they have to go through this struggle of, of healing to get past, you know, trauma that, you know, we can't possibly imagine. So uh, it's really important learning. And so then, and, and Lisa, as she's said, she also learns a little bit that, you know, not because they tend to be not particularly trustful of non-Indigenous people, and you can you can see why from her experience. But then, as Lisa said, she meets other students and realizes, oh, well, they're not that different than me, and there are all sorts of open-minded folks, so which then allows her to then move on from the campus on Selkirk Avenue to go take courses at the main campus and not feel as threatened by that as or she was in the past. Or um, intimidated. I wanted to tell a short story quickly about when I first, my first class was with Shauna at Urban and Inner City Studies. And my first class, I was like blown away. I was like so scared and intimidated by these younger, non-Indigenous students. And I thought, wow, they're so much smarter. I don't know anything that's going on. And I was so like scared of the whole thing. And then at the end of the year, me and these um, other students are best of friends. Like, I would see them at main campus and go up and give them a hug, high fives, and with the, their friends looking shocked. Like, how do you know this person? So it does break down barriers. We're going to continue our conversation in just a few moments with Dr. Shauna McKinnon, who is an associate professor at the University of Winnipeg in urban and inner city studies. And one of her students, Lisa Strong, is here. And we're talking about a new program that's actually starting in just over a week. It's called Youth United at Winnipeg. And we'll get some more information on this program and what it's all about after your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett, he is Greg, and we're talking about Youth United at Winnipeg. This is a new program that is set to begin at the University of Winnipeg. It's going to break barriers and build bridges in the spirit of reconciliation. We are joined live in studio by Shauna McKinnon, who is an associate professor of urban and inner city studies at the U of W, and one of her students is here, Lisa Strong. Now, uh, Dr. McKinnon... Winnipeg City Council Brian Mays initiated this program, but you were tasked, or were you tasked with de- designing the program, or did you sort of step up and say, "Hey, I I can do this"? Well, uh, Brian approached uh, the university. He'd been working a long time, I think, trying to figure out how to get something going similar to a program that he had seen, uh, I think, in Boston, and um, so he approached the University of Winnipeg. And uh, it sounded like something that was a good fit with urban and inner city studies. So we uh, we we kind of took it on, but changed it up to be more aligned with the realities of our city. And uh, we thought it made a lot of sense to to develop the program in the context of truth and Re- truth and reconciliation. Last year, the mayor designated uh, uh, the year of reconciliation. So so 
and plus we do that work already in the inner city. So we sort of, you know, kind of develop the program to fit our realities here. Shauna, I could ask you, but I think I'll ask Lisa yeah. if that's okay. Sure. Just the idea, the power of taking campus to the community versus having, say, to get on a bus or to walk to the university main campus. How beneficial is it to you, Lisa, to have campus? I know it's over the Slaw Rep Chuck Bridge and down mm-hmm. Selkirk Avenue, but the fact that the university came to you and to your community a little bit, did that inspire you to to kickstart your education? Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, I didn't really know about um, uh, urban and inner cities when I first came to university. What was it? I was... Um, what it was, was I have had a friend who was had, going to urban and inner city studies, and she told me about it. And um, she's, like, older, too, an older Aboriginal woman. So she said how it made her feel very, caref- like, um, comfortable and safe. And, that she, and she told me that it would probably be a program where I'd fit in. So that's where I um, wanted to start um, going to school there. So word of mouth was very powerful in yeah, your case. It was. So you mentioned your kids and we were talking mm-hmm. about your kids uh, off air and maybe just what you feel comfortable sharing with us on the air about the, the battles that, that your youngest two are having in terms of, you know, getting mm-hmm. their education. It, it's it's mm-hmm. not easy, right? You know, even no. if you have the will and the want to, mm-hmm. to continue and to get your education, there are barriers that a lot of us don't think about. Mm-hmm. Well, living in Central, um, I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old right now, and one of them's in junior high and one of them's in grade four. But right now they go through a constant fight of getting uh, jumped when they're on their way home from school. And my daughter's um, constantly gets uh, approached from groomers, like for child solicitation, prostitution. And my son... He's, um, you know, getting approached for gang recruitment. So this happens on a continual basis. And that's why I feel it was very, like, um, it's very good that they see me as a role model and um, see me continuing my education and actually graduating because I'm getting a two, um, two BAs, one in uh, urban and inner city studies and one in religion. And I am, like, currently thinking about going for my master's. So when my children see me doing good and um, getting somewhere in life, I'm hoping that they will do the same. So it's part of their decolonization, and that's what a really good word, I think, is with this program. Um, The Youth United program is for us, too. It's a way of decolonizing because we get to learn about other groups and learn from their experience. They get to learn from us, too. We get our education, and that's part of decolonization. So the the students then, Shauna, that were selected for this, mm-hmm. uh, were they sort of hand-picked or did they have to uh, apply for so it? So we had an application process. We were committed to uh, ensuring that 50% of our students were Indigenous students uh, and that same 50% were students that are, had the inner city experience and then the other half being students that are your typical university student from the suburbs because that's the whole point, right, bringing students together from different experiences. So... We had, uh, oh, I think we had, I think about 90 applicants, and uh, we selected from that uh, what we believe to be is a really good mix uh, mix of students from different 
different backgrounds. Lots of great organizations in your part of the city and on the other side of the tracks in the north end. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that big expanse, the, the rail yards, of course, that divides us. And that's another topic mm-hmm. uh, for another yeah, day. Sure. But you're going to be doing a lot of work one day a week in the class and then four out in the community. What are you looking forward to most about that, Lisa? Um, just that I won't be stuck in a classroom and I'll be going to different agencies because my program I'll be working with is um, um, Circles for Reconciliation. And um, being a past 60 Scoop survivor, I will be f- facilitating sharing circles at different organizations. And um, it kind of reminds me of Youth United because half the participants will be um, non-Indigenous and half the participants will be Indigenous. So your groups out in the community are yeah. reflective of the group that you're in at yeah. Youth at Winnipeg. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so in that, in a way, that's my own healing process too that I'll be beginning this summer. Is uh, uh, While I'm facilitating, I'll, both, I'll be learning and healing. What are you working towards at university? When you are finished, what are you mm-hmm. wanting to put your studies toward? Um, well, I would like to be a case manager for um, any kind of youth organization. I was thinking as because I was um, a young pregnant teen um, when I was younger. So I was thinking working at New Directions for the RAP program and it's uh, adolescent parents getting their GED. So that's what I would like to do in the future. I'm blown away. I really am. Lisa Strong, uh, it's not just a name, it's a statement in your (laughs) case. Miigwech to you too. An honor to meet you. Thank you for this. Thank you for what you're doing. Can we keep in touch? Yeah, sure. Would love to know how you're doing in the program. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. Okay, thank you. Congratulations. And Sean, in the last 45 seconds Mm. that we have left here, so this is, uh, it's a full university credit course. Yeah, six credit hour course. And how long is the program? So it goes from the beginning of May till uh, uh, mid-August, and then it'll wrap up with the students uh, doing a presentation about their experience throughout the summer, and it'll be an open event that anybody can attend and listen to. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Where is that going to happen? Well, I don't know where yet, but it'll be at the end of the class. We'll let you know. Yes, you'll be more than welcome to come. Okay, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Shauna McKinnon is an associate professor of urban and inner city studies at the University of Winnipeg. She has developed a program called Youth United at Winnipeg, which will break barriers and build bridges in the spirit of reconciliation. And one of her students, Lisa Strong, also joined us today and helped sort of give us a sneak peek at what is to come in this program. Thank you so much for coming in today, the both of you. Thanks for having us. It is 2.57. Your news is coming up next. 318. Nice day for a bike ride. Well, maybe not so much. Mustafa Belkuja is riding his bicycle across Canada. We bring him on the air to join us. Good afternoon, Mustafa. Good afternoon, sir. It sounds as though you made a really good decision not to venture any further east today. Your goal was to get to Kenora, and we just had a report that the Trans-Canada Highway is, in fact, closed from the Ontario-Manitoba border all the way to, oh, Jesus, Vermilion, Vermilion Bay. Yes, Vermilion Bay. So you made the right choice. Why are you riding your bike across Canada? I uh, rode my bike across Canada for the uh, diabetes, for the awareness of the uh, diabetes on the fundraise for the diabetes of Canada. So from the west to the east, all the way from the west, uh, from Vancouver to I uh, will end up on the east coast uh, in Halifax. When did you start this journey, Mustafa? I started in April, April 1st. 
So you made it a fair distance in a short amount of time. Um, I was like uh, cycling every day. How many day. how many kilometers per day do you try to get in? Uh, some day I, I, I cycle until I am tired, so then I will <laughs> stop. So uh, I don't count exactly the kilometers how much, but I cycle until I am tired, then I will stop. So, But I don't cycle at night. You're doing this in honor of two very special people. Tell us a story about your brother and your sister. Yeah, it's uh, my uh, brother, God bless him, he passed away with uh, diabetes. His name is Khalil, and my sister, Habiba, too. So I dedicated this to to them and to the also the 11 million of people of Canadians that are touched with the, this disease. So it's also for them, too. Obviously, exercise is a huge way to avoid getting diabetes in the first place. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. So, how much? Uh, like, are you are you raising funds as you go across the country? Yes, sir. I'm raising funds. I'm uh, hoping like uh, that uh, people like um, you know will be with their generosity to uh, raise money also for the uh, diabetes. So at least that money will go for like the uh, research, and that's maybe one day we'll be able to eradicate this kind of this uh, sweet. It's called the sweet death or the silent death, you know, the diabetes. That would be uh, something else to see the end of diabetes. Mustafa, before we let you go, uh, I think the folks at Alt Hotel have uh, have uh, offered to put you up tonight, and uh, that was very kind of them. So we want to give them a shout-out and thank them for doing that for you. But also we want to let you have an opportunity to let people know where they can go is there a website where people can donate uh, to this cause and and to support you in your ride against uh, diabetes in support of the memory or in the memory of your sister and your brother? Yes, sir. Uh, it's um, the uh, website. It's www.diabetesfree, all one word, diabetesfree.website. Um, this is the uh, the actually the official website that the people can go and can donate, and at the same time also they will see this person cycling by himself across like uh, the uh, highway, always highway one, heading like or always to the east, and they are welcome to drop by and to donate on behalf of the. Uh, of the diabetes association, there is an envelope where I can put like the money, and then it will be like handed in to the Diabetes Canada at the, at the end. So either way, there is like either they will come in physically, they will see me, and they will give like the money, or they can go directly and uh, drop them online. In the meantime, also in my way, I had some card, and also I will hand it to the people every time when I stop. And they'll just show them, like, my itinerary and uh, the, the cause. And the... Mustafa Belkuja, I'm so sorry. I hate to just abruptly cut the interview, but we are out of time. Mustafa is riding his bike across the country in support of raising funds and awareness for diabetes. The website, once again, diabetesfree.website. 338. Just a reminder, in case you hadn't heard, the highway, Highway 17, Trans-Canada Highway, closed from the border, Manitoba, Ontario, all the way to Vermilion Bay, 
Ontario because of the weather, and that's in both directions. So if you have people coming from that direction and you're expecting them, if you haven't received a text or a call from them and they're a little late, that is exactly why they are delayed. And if you're heading in that direction, you may want to postpone your travel pl- plans. Keep it locked here. We'll get you home as safely as we can. We'll keep you up to date in traffic and weather together all the way through until 7 o'clock with Richard and Julie coming up at 4 and Brett, I couldn't help but notice in your news, your global news at 3.30, the last story about the woman who thought she'd won $55 and turned out her and her husband are now multi, multi, multi-millionaires. Yeah, they, was, uh, they thought that they had won $55. Turns out they won $55 million. Why do we both sound so sad <laughs> talking about that? Is there a little envy here when you read a story like that? Absolutely. Right? For sure. I mean, it's just numbers, random draw. And now, you know, a lot of people's lives are going to be changed out of that without question. They intend to spend their money on on travel and family, of course. And we've had the discussion in the past about what we would do, but, you know, five or six or seven million dollars. But you could just about change your entire community with $55 million. Your circle of influence, your sphere of influence could be so much greater with that kind of money. Boy, the great things you could do with it. Well, we don't have $55 million to give away, but we do have time to give away some some stuff, some stuff. Ooh. Hang on a second. Let me get my default prize giveaway music. At least it used to be my default. And now I mostly just like playing this music because it'll get stuck in Matt Cardi's head for the rest of the week. <laughs> uh, this week, every day, we have two tickets to give away for the Rondex Radarama Car Show. So the name of the show, Radarama, ended up reminding me of a movie clip. So I'm going to play just a tiny part of that clip, and I need you to identify the movie. It's kind of a... Cult classic. There's a very weak link here between the show, (laughs) Radarama, and the movie that I've gone with here. But How weak is the link, uh, Brett? Here we go. Here's the clip. Car Ramrod. I'm going to play that clip one more time. Car Ramrod. If you can identify the film, easy. If you can identify the film, 204-780-6868, and you get yourself two tickets to go to Radarama, which is happening this weekend at East End Arena in Transcona. 204-780-6868. That's your old stomping grounds. Correct. I remember the, I, I recently drove by there. I, where was I going? Anyway, I had not been... To East End Arena in oh, they've years. Do, they've done the massive renovation, right? It, <laughs> I can't believe it's such a nice-looking, huge complex now from the outside, whereas before it was this old dump, uh, which is, I think, typical for any sort of neighborhood uh, old community club where it's they're kind of dilapidated and beat up. So now they've got this massive complex out there. So it looks pretty cool. So Rotorama happening there this weekend. While Jeff Forte is taking calls at 204-780-6868, we got another letter. I, got, I was excited. I walked in and someone had put this little letter. And I say little because they, the envelopes that are being used are those kind of tiny ones. So they're, Right. Not a letter-sized one. It's yeah. a sm- little bit smaller, like you, like for a thank you card or something. So the, the sheet of paper, the full sheet of paper is folded up nine times to fit. It's from our friend who has been sending us multiple letters. This is the fourth one now. I don't know. Fourth if you, in a series. I don't know if you recall the first one where th- this person, this listener, was concerned <laughs> about me saying that I'm always here. Does Brett 
live at the station and curl up under the stairs like a feral cat. So the last one we got was sort of a sad one, saying, words hurt, I'm not a dude, because the assumption had been made that it was a guy sending these letters. But I'm not sure why we were making that assumption, but... We did uh, falsely make that assumption. Uh, we'll blame we'll blame Tristan Field Jones for making that t- assumption because it was Tristan who brought this to our attention, I believe, the first time around. So anyway, and throughout the, the the course of these letters, this person has also been including these old like Donkey Kong stickers from the early 1980s, which I was simply delighted by because I used to have them. So that was a huge blast from the past. Anyway, got another letter today. Letter number four in the series. Dear Brett, you appear to be an affable fellow, and it pleases me that you seem to enjoy receiving the random items I found in my parents' basement. Perhaps I will unearth more treasures there in future visits. I was delighted to hear that you and Greg went on that MPI slash Slurpee outing. That's where we went out to the the auction hall in Transcona on Plessy's Road to do the virtual reality simulator thing, and then we stopped for Slurpees on the way back. Gold stars for the both of you. I am hopeful that there will be more segments on the continuing adventures of Mackling and McGarry. I would also like to formally request a photo or video montage of the budding (laughs) bromance. Any activity would be acceptable. Golfing, a day at the park riding tandem bicycles. (laughs) It sounds like a great intro for a 1980s sitcom. It really does. The choice is yours. Please see to it that it happens. Good behavior warrants better rewards. I am enclosing a gift card for you to share with Greg. And it's a a 7-Eleven gift card, but not Tristan. He is the bad seed (laughs) who kept referring to me as a he. Inexcusable. I shake my fist in his general direction. (laughs) Kindest regards. Not a dude. P.S. If my letters are weirding you out, just say the word and they will cease post haste. Literally, they're not weirding us out at all. I just wish I could say thank you to... Your not name. a dude. I don't know what not to call you. Thank you, not, not a dude. Not a dude is, yeah. Thanks. Just going to, going to enjoy this gift card soon. And I appreciate the letters. Thank you so much. Lots of fun. It was a highlight. As soon as I walked in, my day was already better because I saw the letter and I knew who it was from. When you, said, when you said a, 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 an opening, a montage for the opening of a, of a sitcom, I thought of Bosom Buddies right away. <laughs> That's right. I that was, was thinking of you and I kind of not necessarily dressing up as women, but the idea of riding a tandem bicycle and uh, yeah, that, that would be a, a lot of fun. <laughs> Got to congratulate Sandra Sutilla, who has won our tickets today for the Rondex Rotorama Car Show happening this weekend at East End. And she had Sandra had to identify the movie that went with this clip. Car Ramrod. And the answer is from... First of all, a ramrod, by the way, is a rod for ramming down the charge of a muzzle-loading firearm. Uh, the word can also be used to describe a foreman or manager, especially one who is a strict disciplinarian. Anyway, the movie is from 2001. It's the comedy film about five Vermont state troopers called Super Troopers. Hey, I came up, uh, came up with a great name for our car. Oh, yeah? Get this. You're Arcot Ramathorn, Ram, and I'm Rod Farva, Rod. Car ramrod. Car ramrod. You get it? Yeah, I got it. Rabbit. Say car ramrod. I got a Plymouth Voyager. Say car ramrod. Vermont plates. Hold on. <laughs> and I, the, one of the reasons why I have an affinity for this is my Dragon Boat team, uh, I want to say probably 10, 12 years ago, 
they decided to call the, the team... Super Troopers? No, it was Team Ramrod. T- oh, nice. We were Team Ramrod, and the guy at the back of the boat calling us, calling out 1 to 10, he would always say it in German. So it's Eins, Zwei, Drei. I can't remember the rest, but it was fun. So Team Ramrod, Dragon Boat. How did you guys do? In our division, I think we did okay. I think we would usually finish sort of middle of the pack in the competition. We would go to the one in June at Lake Shirley in Transcona. So I uh, think we would usually finish middle. We were not elite, but we weren't the, the worst of the worst. So, so, so you were kind of like um, the Toronto Maple Leafs out in the first round, sort of. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a joke about that uh, Flames fan, a Maple Leaf fan, and a uh, Habs fan walk into a bar, and the bartender says, first round is on me, but there's no second round. 347 on 680 CJOB, traffic and weather together. Next. Now people are uh, texting in at 7806868 as to what 90s sitcom best represents Mackling and McGarry. We might, like, have, we might have to film one of those opening montages. I think it could be fun. The suggestion from Dale says, I think Perfect Strangers for your intro to Bromance. Great team. Thanks, Dale. And here's another great team. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham have joined us in studio to tell us what's coming up on the news. That's a great question. It what is a great 90s question. sitcom best suits you two? Yeah, the, like the opening montage. I think yeah. Perfect Strangers, though, may have that's been not 80s. Bad. Yeah, that's not yeah. bad. Well, okay, that's 80s bad. or 90s. Well, you know. That's not bad. And we'll together, well, it's not all... Well, we're friends, but it wouldn't be friends in that sense. It was 80s, 90s. 1986 to 1993. There yeah. So it fits either. It's all yeah. I just remember the ad, like the <clears throat> opening montage. Like, I just think of DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. There you go. That's you two. There you go. I like to it. a letter, to I a like T. It. I was thinking bosom buddies, but anyway, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to phone uh, Glasgow this afternoon. Why wouldn't you? And they are getting uh, a Timmy's. And we will speak to a former Winnipegger who lives just down the street from that location. And they're they're pretty darn excited well, about it opening up. Tell look. Let's tell the story behind the story of this guest. How you bizarre you're gonna is this? Act, you're going to actually share something with us? <laughs> not- well, I saw the fact that, that they were getting the Timmies. They did the big announcement right. in the UK. And I thought, well, I know some people that moved back to Glasgow. They were originally from there. They moved here. I met them. And then they moved back. And now in we fact, know why they met back. Yes. Okay. And in fact, uh, the, gal that, the young lady that we'll speak to actually babysat my son. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, we'll give we'll give them a, a call. And her mom worked with my mom, so we all kind of knew each other. And I said to Richard, oh, I booked I booked uh, Heather McClarity to talk to us about Tim Hortons. And then I said, wait a second, your kids might know her. I think they all went to Bairdmore School. And then I chime in, Heather, Heather, he- Heather. I coached her soccer. <laughs> yeah. She played soccer with Megan. So she's connected to both of you? Yes. yes. And she was a pretty good striker, as I could remember. So the, anyway, the big question big is... Big small town, big small world. ...is Love whether it. she'll speak Scottish or whether she'll speak Canadian, mm-hmm. because she can do both very well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What time is that? 4.18, if you want a precise time. Six, ahead, six hours ahead. I wonder how so. the steep tea will go over there. Ooh, good question. Yeah, good yeah, question. You'll have they to ask like her. Will you ask tea? her that for me? Sure, I will. Okay, thank sure. you. Uh, you'll be at uh, the Blue Bomber store at Investors Group Field. We'll talk to you a few times as uh, we celebrate this very snowy day. <laughs> a little bit of football, but your opportunity to get out and get the autographs of all three Winnipeg Blue Bomber uh, quarterbacks. 
great idea. So we'll be tapping into you from time to time throughout the news on that. And of course, a lot of top stories, including the release of what was described as a serial robber. He's back in the community now after serving two-thirds of his sentence. More coming up on the news at 4 and in-depth just after the 4 o'clock And news. very cool news that a locally done film is headed to Cannes. Yeah, and just may I say, uh, JDRF, I was the host of Starry Starry Night on Saturday night. Saw your social media. One you know, of the best selfies of you ever. It was fun, but I and I'll announce it right now. You say we never give anything to you folks. Not only we we share the behind the scenes. This is a fundraising record for JDRF. They raised just over six hundred and fifty thousand dollars on Saturday. I know night. that's wow. a huge what? number. Yes, six hundred and fifty. I thought he put thousand dollars. I thought yeah. he put the comma in the wrong spot. But uh, we congratulations thought, to them and to you. Oh well, wow. wow. <laughs> I was just fronting this thing, uh, talking into the microphone. But this was the thirtieth anniversary of Starry Starry Night. And uh, the they have a, a giving portion, and it started with Tannis Richardson, uh, who was you know one of the founders of JDRF's chapter here 30 years ago, getting up and donating thirty thousand dollars. Fantastic! Yeah. That is great. Well, yeah. we do amazing things in this community. Yeah. Thanks for celebrating that, Richard. And uh, we'll be talking to you later on this afternoon, Richard. Cluche and Julie Buckingham, the news straight through until 7 o'clock. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling, Jeff Fortier, and Master Control. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.